and welcome to episode 174 of The Game Pit. We have been on our travels and we've been up to the lovely Harrogate to Aircon, Ronan. We have been to lovely Harrogate and a little side quest to York at a certain point. And we have been enjoying three days of gaming hosted by Mark Cook and his fantastic team at the Harrogate Convention Centre. We've had a splendiferous time, Sean. This, as we always say, is a convention not quite like the other conventions we always go to. Yeah, it's not all about the buying and grabbing, although we do tend to do a little bit of that while we're there. Well, I do anyway. Yeah, well, let's not talk about us doing the grabbing. That was possibly poor <laughs> phrasing, but okay. Yeah, it's all about chilling out. It's the, we always say it's the most chilled out con that we we go to, and you can just relax, enjoy your gaming, meet people. It's, it's a really nice time. It is a nice time, and it's, it's getting that familiarity that's been going for long enough. Even though there was the two-year hiatus, it was the last thing we went to pre-everything that happened, and it's the first one we've gone back to. So it kind of feels like coming home. It's like, okay, okay, we've got that out of the way, sort of-ish, to some degree, <laughs> and now hoping to resume back into sort of the gaming lifestyle. And, Sean, one of the things that I definitely noticed, it was more highlighted here and possibly because of what's happened in the last couple of years is that looking around the place walking around playing games i was not overwhelmed that there was any particularly new release that was getting played again and again we will refer to things like when terraforming mars came out it was everywhere even when everdale when it came out you'd see it in lots of places there are various games that you walk around and for the next year or so you see them getting played multiple times for me at this aircon the game I saw the being played the most was Wingspan. <laughs> any thoughts from you? Did, did you see any particular hits, anything big, anything new that everyone was after? No, no, absolutely nothing really new. The, the hotness was not really on display at all. I did a little bit of research. Well, it the... was when you were walking through the hall. Well, obviously, obviously. Flexing. Looking, looking buff. <laughs> I did a little bit of research, and Mark Cook uh, published the top nine games that were signed out of the Aircon library, and they're all old familiars, really. I will say, though, the kind of people that sign games out of a games library... You know, like we very rarely do it because we've got loads of games. Yeah. So it true. is it is a particular section of the people that go. Not that they're any better or worse than anyone else, but it is, you know, sort of a glimpse and towards a section, but it is always interesting to hear. So go on. Yeah, I think the caveat is also that people tend to sign out the quicker games in general. And games they can teach. Yeah, and games that they can teach. So, so number one was Clask, but I think that's a bit of an outlier because they had a massive Hold on, hold class. on. How, how are we starting with number one? Number nine, come on, man. No, 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 they're not in order. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't have him in order. He so what put... are you giving a number for then? All right. One of the games. <laughs> one of the games. The first one I'm talking about is Clask. And I'm I think baffled. That's, uh, that's a little bit of an outlier because they had a massive Clask tournament at the uh, thing. So I imagine people saw people playing it or maybe they got them out of the library to play the tournament. Who knows? But There were lots of people shuffling their hands under tables. There was. There was. And some of them weren't playing class, which was worrying. Anyway, Azul, standard, and Azul stained glass of Sintra. Pretty standard. A bit more surprised by that, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, okay. okay. The, the one that surprised me the most was Dice Forge. I, I thought that kind of had its day, but apparently not. Apparently loads of people were signing out of the library. Is it hard to get? 
I don't think so. I had it and moved it on. I thought it was a, it was a fine game. It was good. It's, it's quite fiddly because you have to make up the dice, don't you? And you have to kind of pry them off with whatever you can get your hands on. A but, tool. Um, a tool. A little tool? tool or a screwdriver. Where's your tool? Dice Forge. I played with you at an aircon and definitely not worth the effort. You were a much bigger fan of it than I was. I, I liked it, but I kind of... You loved love. it at the time. At the time, I really liked it, and I was really chuffed with it. But I kind of fell out of love with it because it was really fiddly, and I didn't think there was that much depth to it. There you go. It was, I think it's a fine game. Cubitos, a game that we both really didn't get on with, but I did see this one getting played quite a lot, actually. Did you? Yeah. I, I mean, people are still, you know, are we the idiots? People, we are, are we the idiots in this case? People are still talking about it and excited about it. And I really thought it was just going to be like a burn fast, burn out thing because to me, there was nothing to it. I'm kind of similar to Dice Forge, but even more of a chore to play, to be honest. I, I don't I don't see it, but... Yeah, I didn't get on with it at all. Now, here's one that we both did like. I don't even know if it's still in your collection. Flam Rouge, Ronan. It is not in my collection just because we played it so much and everyone around me had it. So I was like, this is not one I need to keep. That's a, that's a good, fun game. You need to bring in some other bits of it to give it longevity, I would say. Okay, fair enough. And the newest game on the list is Seven Wonders Architects. Now, I've not actually had a game of this. It looks like it's too simple for me. It's Seven Wonders, but simpler, isn't it? You know? Yeah. And yeah. again, I always say Seven Wonders, people get obsessed that it's only for higher play counts. It's really good for four players, Seven Wonders. It's probably the best way to play it. So this idea of Architects simplifies it. You can play it with four players. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, to me, I don't I don't see the point of Seven Wonders Architects, but it is definitely been a, a success. So the, clearly they knew something that we didn't. Cool. Last two, Splendor, Standard. I, I'm not a big fan Actually, I'm of a it. Bit surprised. I'm a bit surprised by Splendor because there have been so many other games that work off the Splendor sort of idea that I thought maybe people would be moving across to them more, like kind of the way Dominion burned hot and then people moved on to other deck builders. But I'm guessing with Splendor, it's that thing that people know how to teach it. So they see Splendor and go, oh, I can teach that. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, I quite like Splendor. I quite like Splendor. And that's why it, it works in those sort of environments. I think Splendor is almost like cyclical. Every now and again, a new group of players discover it and it kind of keeps coming around. And I think it was just going through one of its uh, hot phases. I think it's uh, always available in like Waterstones and stuff, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's it, so, definitely. I like Splendor. Splendor's decent. I never really got on with it. But yeah, I can see why people like it, definitely. And the last one, a bit of a funny one, New York Zoo. I owned it for a short while, played it a few times and did not get on with it at all. I had no interest in it. <laughs> Fair enough. It was just a clunky, and why would you not play Baron Park? Oh, yeah. that's foreshadowing. Ah, there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're, they're the games that we saw play. Actually, I've got one more I'm going to throw you away. Dwellings of Eldervale. I, maybe it's because it stands out, because it obviously it's such a lavish production, but I saw people carrying it. I saw people playing it. I even talked to a guy in the hotel who was like really excited for his first game of it. And maybe because I like it so much, it stood out. But I just saw it. I saw it everywhere I went. I think that might be because you were looking for it. Yeah, I think that's a game that people haven't had the chance to play with their mates or the people they see at cons or with bigger groups of people. 
because Ooh. of everything that's been going on. So I think that that's one that people are waiting to say, oh, this is all right with two or three, or everything I can get together with. But I really want to play it with. Or, because it was quite expensive and hard to get older for a while, people said, oh, I've got that. Next time I see you, I'll play it with you. And it's been, it got such a name that it's actually stuck in people's minds. They went, right, it's Aircon. Do you remember we were going to play Dwellings of Eldervale? And they were like, yeah, yeah, we are, we are. And it's a game that you would actually say, right, Saturday at 11 o'clock, let's sit down and play it. Because it gives yeah. that impression of being sort of a, a game that, that's worth building around. I don't think it is. I think it's much slighter than that. But it looks nice. <laughs> it's definitely deceptive. But yeah, I think you've nailed it. So, Ronan, we did our usual pilgrimage across the road to Christie's Bar. It's, it's pretty much standard. We have to do there. They get upset if we don't turn up and spend lots of money there. <laughs> they have no idea who we are. Okay. <laughs> no, they don't. But we were we were very surprised that um, our friend and designer, Hakon Garda, came across. And we, we were able to drunkenly question him about loads of games. We are, and illustrator of those games as well, apparently. Yes, we were, I was. I was upsetting him about my art with my art taste in games. I was like, I like a, I like a game that tells a story. I like a low Hansen, and he was like, Yeah, that's the complete opposite of my artwork. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, you're quite annoying. Sure. I, I was quite. Uh, yeah, we did sit down and have a couple of beers. Then he came over quite late in the evening, so I'm not sure how much sense we were making. But it was nice to talk to him because after Streets and Villages, he's now brought out Moon. Yes which was debuting at the show. Okay, also, he brought along with him was Dave, the owner and CEO of Sinister Fish Games. And he, he actually had a, a really interesting story about when he first started up. You know what saved his business, Ronan? Yes. Yeah, you remember it. The Gloomhaven I forgot <laughs> He was like, I had forgotten. Yeah, he was, he was like really on, like he was going to have to close the doors and like maybe wind it up. And the Gloomhaven removable stickers landed in his lap and he and it actually funded his, his next game and the game after that. And he was able to really push on from there. So Gloomhaven saves Sinister Fish. There you go, it's a little story. <laughs> that is a little story. That was quite funny. I had not forgotten that because I wasn't drunk when I was talking to him, so that's good. Well, that's okay, shall we actually talk about the games that we played while we were there? Yes, mate. We played some together. We played some separately, but we got quite a few done in the in the few days. We're going to run through just uh, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve of them. Um, again, following on from the theme, not many of the latest releases. So in two episodes' time, you're probably going to get more latest releases from us. But in this one, in keeping with sort of the feel of how we approach Aircon, we were playing some older favourites and naturally some quicker games as well. But I'm going to kick off with one that is an older favourite, but isn't a quicker game. It's one that I sort of made my game of the con by saying, can we please play this? Can we please play this? We got to play it a little bit earlier than expected, Sean. We did, because of a slight mishap. Slight mishap. I misread the time that we'd booked Starship Simulator for the five of us and we didn't get to do it and I, I am still sorry about that. Okay. Anyway, we played Cyclades, Cyclades earlier than we expected. It is from 2009. It is one of the Matago troops on a map game around an auction system in which each turn each player is looking for the favour of a particular god and that god will give them some aspect of what you need either to create troops or create ships or move troops or move ships around 
these islands on the board. The board is modular for how many players you're playing with. You might be building up infrastructure. There are four types of buildings you can build. When you build four buildings, they become a metropolis. You need two of those metropoli to win the game, but just because you built it doesn't mean it's yours because there are opportunities to attack each other. I hadn't played this in five years, Sean. Five years is far too long a time for me not to have played Cyclades. It all came flooding back. I had to get out because I have got various expansions and add-ons and this and that because I used to play a lot over the past 13 years. I had to kind of pick it apart and decide what the best configuration was for us because I think you played it before, I played it before, Rachel played it before, Natalie played it before and hated it and Ellie had never played it before. I thought Ellie had played it. I thought she'd played it recently with you. No, oh, I haven't played it in five years. No, she's never uh, played it. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I I tend to play this about once a year by hook or by crook because Matthew's got it, Luke's got it. We we played it when we met up in Nottingham a few times. And so, Mark and John got it as well. <laughs> they, might, they probably do. They probably do. And, yeah, it's it's an old favourite and it's it's so good. And you, you kind of forget, even, even though I played it last year, you forget how good it is. How tense it is. <laughs> we played with Hades. The Hades expansion, to me, definitely improves the game greatly because it stops it becoming too moribund and stuck on the map and adds a little bit more movement in it, but in a very clever way that's temporary. So it can break a stalemate, but it won't break the game because those troops then disappear. These undead troops, they appear in, in waves every now and then and someone controls them. Oh, mate, I really loved it. I'm so glad that we got together and played it. I had so much fun. And unusually I won, which means I'm even happier. I blame your neighbours for that. One, Who are my neighbours? Natalie, Natalie and Rachel were the no ones. Blaming. That... No blaming. No blaming. That's just me. Everyone was my neighbour. I went right across the middle to distract you all and then went around there just to actually grab the stuff I wanted. i become everyone's enemy, so they all focused in the middle of the board and then I was like, got that, grab that. Boom. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It just all fell in place. Mate, mate, the best thing was playing against Sean in any game, Sean will have the most money. No matter what, Sean will have the most money. At the end, I made a big bid and they kind of let it go because they were like, well, if he's bid that much, he won't have enough money left over to actually do the thing to win the game. So they let me win the bid and I had tons of money left. <laughs> I'd been hoarding and scrimping and saving and secretly <laughs> all game. <laughs> you, all, you were also left alone to do whatever you wanted up in that corner because somebody had a, a fixation on, on, what was it, forts? Oh, yeah. Rachel. 19 Turtles. Rachel Turtles in games, we know that. She establishes her defensive position and then she'll go from there, which gave me a little chance. To, oh, mate, I attacked everyone. I literally attacked everyone in that game. You all had chances. You were too busy putting all your troops. Sean, I've never seen this before in Cyclades. He put all his troops together in one army, would take an island, and then just march his troops off and leave that island undefended. But it worked because he kept having these undefended <laughs> islands. Like, just, he still had them five, six turns later. It was so funny. I knew he ran out of the chips that you're, you're supposed to only really have <laughs> one or two down on the board. Yeah, that never happens. It's uh, happening. Um, <laughs> yeah, I might. Did you have an island with like three horns on it and no one took it from it? Yeah, you? until right near the end, the Rachel goes, Oh, you know what? That's been free for the whole game. I might as well take yeah. it. But it was funny. I tell you what, 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 what this game does is it draws you in. So my whole ethos 
for air commas, I don't care about winning. I'm just going to play games, enjoy the crack and meet people and talk to people. And I was like, I don't care about winning. I'm not playing any game to win this game. Halfway through, I'm like, I've got to win. I'm going to win this. <laughs> I never attack Ellie in games. And she just left an opportunity. I was like, right, dink. Sorry. <laughs> She's 19, mate. It's time she just started getting attacked. It's, it's time she left. It <laughs> it's time to everyone forget about that. You were like, oh, I can't believe you put Ellie next to me. We're all next to each other. We're literally neighbours to each other, everyone over the board. I think it might have psychologically scarred her. She was telling her boyfriend at midnight that night. Uh, Daddy picked on me. <laughs> oh, bless her. Anyway, so that was Sick of D's, an old favourite that I think went down mostly really well. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> mostly. Next one, Sean. Yeah, so the game I was most looking forward to trying was The Loop from Catch-Up Games Pandasaurus, uh, designed by Maxime Ramborg and Theo Riviere. And what The Loop is, now, I'm going to have to defer to other people because I obviously can't tell what the deck builder is, but I would say it's a cooperative deck builder-ish type game. Would you say that, Ronan? Definitely. Deck building is... Uh, a fairly decent part of things. There's, there's a lot of movement, there's a lot of other things going on, but deck building is definitely cool. one of the main mechanisms. Right, so well, you've, got, you've got this rondel in front of you, and Dr. Foe is going to be trying to take over the world, and we are the agents that are trying to stop him. Now, how he's going to do this is dropping cubes into a really basic cube tower, and they're going to go into one of three spaces, depending where it's pointing, and if he gets enough cubes in the area... He's going to take over that area, and we've we've lost one part of the game. The way he multiplies these cubes is by having agents on the board, and they're going to come out each turn in, in different areas. And the way we win the game is by manoeuvring those agents by use of our three cards that we've got to play each turn, manoeuvring them out of the way, lessening his chances of getting cubes onto the board, and eventually doing various tasks that are all different, that are on the edge of the board. And when we do four of those tasks, we win. If he does, if he manages to take four of the areas, he wins. Ronan, I found this one really, really easy to get into. And the reason for that was, yeah, it's quite overwhelming when you start telling all the rules. But when, it, when you get down to the nitty gritty, you've got three cards and they are all you can do on that round. So then your task is to really think, how can I get a get the most out of these three cards and how can I help the people around me to get the most out of their cards and what they're trying to do? And that's why it was easy to get into. Yeah, I think the graphic design and the, the whole look of it is overwhelming at first as well, which I think is part of that. But when you start playing, actually everything is very simple. All the iconography, there's not many icons and they all make sense. They're all based on a common language of there are seven areas of the board. They have their own symbol. Lots of things are based around that. So you're not sort of frantically looking backwards or forwards. The way the agents move is very, very simple. The way the cubes drop, everything is simple and comes together and makes it easy for you to make your decisions. The thing, Sean, that you said at one point to me, and I think that this is the very fine balance of design of whether it works or not, is that you said... You can't really plan what you're going to do because so much changes between each turn. You don't necessarily know where you're going to go and what you're going to do. What that does is 
things do change the ball between turns. It means you cannot quarterback. You cannot overly plan ahead and go, right, this turn, I'll do this. You do that next turn. You do that next turn. You do that next turn. And we have this sort of multi-turn plan. We have an overall strategy, but you have to be much more flexible than that, which means that, you, you know, everyone's making their own decision on their own turn. And it's the balance of that if it becomes complete nonsense and there's no structure to the game, or actually there is structure, we just have to be flexible, which is the key to whether this game works. So after you saying to me initially, oh, I'm not sure about this, how did you feel about it after the play? I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I felt that we were kept on your toes by the by both the players themselves making their own decisions and also the mechanisms of the games because his assistants are going to come out in random spaces and you can't predict where they're going to come out. The cubes, yes, you can tie it down to a certain area once the cube tower's moved. Yeah, and they could go anywhere. They could really hamper you or they could fall in your favour. So you've got to really make good use of what you've got in the moment that you've got it. But also... You've got to be talking. You've got to be talking to everybody. Like, yeah, if you move that there, I can do that. But if he then puts a crystal in there, we're gonna we're gonna lose that area. So you got it's all a negotiation, and I really like that. I like that kind of seat of your bum games where you're having to make those snap decisions, but also try to plan ahead. I think also the amount of planning and co-op sometimes is dependent upon what missions are available, because the missions missions might be location specific get a bunch of energy created in this area you can plan much more for that than something like destroy agents in dr what's his face is dr foe's area on this term because you can't predict that area you can set things up you have because there's seven cars that come out you know where he's going but once you get towards the end of, sort of the cycle of those seven cars you know he's going to appear in one of these two or three spaces you can set things up but it's much less predictable for the mission so i yeah. think depending on what mission you're going for also is going to affect that and I, I, I like all of it, and I've only played it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. It comes with four different scenarios. We've played the basic scenario on the easiest setting. Thankfully, we've won both times. It was pretty close to the first one. I told you guys how hard it was. We did pretty good that second game. <laughs> but the four of us pretty much smashed that. That was, uh, you know, I don't know how lucky we got, but we did really well. One thing I did notice that, and I did like, was that... You start off, your character starts off focused on a certain type of task. So then you've got the choice of, do I diversify and be able to do more different stuff? Or shall I really hone in on that? And that, again, is a conversation that you need to have with everybody. Like, I'm going to really hone in on being able to move the agents if you can make sure that you can clear up those cubes and things like that. And I like that as well, because it kind of gives you a direction to start in, and it's up to you if you want to stick in that direction or move on. Yeah, I think the character you choose can sort of suit your play play style as well. Rachel loves to take that robot that gets a bonus for killing the agents, because she likes to do things on her own turn, you know, and power up herself, because her view of cart games is the more powerful I am, the more I'm helping the team. Whereas I have a slightly different view and I like to be more of sort of like a, a string puller and a massager of things. <laughs> so I took the guy who's Mr. Time, he's Mr. T, and he has all move an agent here, move an agent there, give an agent something. And I can kind of sit there a, a little bit of like, oh, maybe if I move you there on your turn, you could think about that. And if I give you this, maybe that's a little combo that will And I like that thing where I'm like, you know, overseeing things and trying not to be totally overbearing and a pain in the bum, but just sort of help things a little bit, keep an eye on everything. <laughs> and I like that the different agents allow you to play in different styles. Yes, absolutely. So I think uh, the loop is a definite game pit favourite. 
The next one we're going to talk about is another newer game. This is Canopy. It's a two-player game, 2021. Tim Eisner and Weird City Games. It's the game that came with no plastic components. I don't know if you remember, it made a little bit of a, a splash on that. I think that might be Weird City sort of ethos, mm-hmm. which is a very good thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, the game isn't a very good thing. <laughs> I was wondering which way you were going to go, because <laughs> I was looking at all the ratings, and it was hard to find a bad comment about this. Oh, well, I'll stick in a comment then. <laughs> Lack of real decisions is what they're saying. It looks lovely. The it, st- it looks lovely. I like the theme. You are growing trees. That's sort of one way you're going to score points. Mm-hmm. You are collecting plants. There's only a couple of species. They score for having various amounts of them. And you're collecting animals, either come in pairs for points or they give you special powers, which is very handy. And you're trying to avoid the bad things that will kill your plants and kill your trees. And you're trying to also collect these things that give you extra cards. The way you're doing that is there are three piles and on your turn, you look at the first pile of cards, you turn them all over and you say, either I want this entire pile of cards or I don't. If I don't, it goes down and one gets added to it. Move on to the second one. Do I want these or not? If not, put it down. Third one, do I want these or not? If not, put it down, add a card to it. And I've got, just got to draw a card from the top of the deck. So eventually those piles will grow enough, hopefully, that you'll have enough good stuff in there that you go, yeah, I definitely want those. Or you might pick up two cards and go, yeah, those are really good. I like them. I'm keeping them. And then one card goes back in its place. So it's sort of a drafting whereby the piles grow and decrease. And when you give up on a pile, you're moving on. It's an okay system. It sounds better in theory than it did in practice because that's where there's no sort of real decisions. You're like, well, this pile's got something bad in it I can't take. Now this pile's got something bad in it I can't take. So I'm left to that one pile that I can take. <laughs> and then no one wants because those the first two piles, they'll just keep getting added to for a while. And it's split into three phases, and they're quite short. So it's not long enough, really, for the pile to become good enough for you to take. When you take it in the end, you're like, ugh, it's not a good decision. See, this game, has, I think it's made you us flip. It's Freaky Friday all over again. I think you've inhabited my body to, to get in this game. Because normally, you see these games a mile off. Yep, style over substance, not interested in that at all. And I was not interested in this at all. And, uh, yeah, you were the one that got it, which I was quite surprised at. Yeah, because we like a drafter. And it sounded quite interesting. And I was like, plus, you know, no plastic. I'd like to support that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the, the big kicker, Sean. Go on. All right. The score was something like Rachel had 70 points and I had, like, 58. Mm-hmm. Something like that, all right? Yeah. On... Rachel's last draft, so a card got put in the game that neither of us could see. Didn't know what it was. She's turned over the pile. Oh, that's the one card we've both been waiting for. (laughs) Right, scores, let's say 70 to 58, right? Give me how big of a point swing it was that she picked up that card from a face-down drawer and I didn't. 20 points. 52. It was a 52-point swing. It gave a tallest tree for that round. It gave a biggest forest. And it scored her for that tree. We both built up really tall trees because loads of trunk cards came out. And you need to put a canopy on these trunks for them to score. And it's a multiplier. And the multiplier can be zero, one, or two, whatever. It was the, a ca- the only canopy. Loads of canopies came out early when we had no trunks. So they were just literally getting discarded and thrown away. We don't need them. They were of no use to me. We couldn't literally play them. We've nowhere to put them. And then no canopies came out. All right, this is like not going to happen in every game. I understand that. If it's possible 
in your game to have a swing on one card, which is almost equal to all the points I scored in the whole game because of one card. If that's possible, something is wrong. And it is wrong. 50, like, she scored 26 points and I would have scored like 26 points in it, more or less. <laughs> Sean, are you serious? <laughs> like, it wasn't great before that. It was okay. A two-player drafter is hard to pull off. This doesn't really pull it off. If you see a card the other person wants, you're just going to take it. The dangers of disease and stuff were actually more dangerous than I thought because you're drafting fewer cards than I imagine. So losing a couple of cards because you've got disease, whatever, is actually a problem. But that, that sort of a card swinging all these things because you get a bonus for having most trees completed, which is obviously so zero-sum in a two-player game that you can build these massive trunks and it's not good. It's not good. It's not a good game, mate. Uh, we, we we are determined to play it one more time, see how it goes, because it was... I mean, the rule book wasn't great either. It was easy to play. It doesn't take very long. It looks nice. All that is true, but that's just not acceptable. <laughs> that's that. It's just that. Fundamentally, your game is flawed, if that can happen. Okay. So, canopy. No. Mo- moving swiftly on. One of the games I was keen for Ronan to play and Ellie and Rachel was Fantasy Realms because I've recently got it and I've recently fallen in love with it. What is Fantasy Realms? It's by WizKids, designed by Bruce Glasgow, and it is the most basic of set collection and chaining cards off each other that you could possibly think of. Generic fantasy theme, and you're literally... Picking up a card, putting another one down, you're going to start the game and end the game unless you get a specific card with seven cards and you're trying to just chain them together and they score off each other and some of them blank each other so you've got to make sure that you don't have penalties that affect your other cards and really simple premise but I think it just works in that sort of 10-15 minute time frame that you play it in and I'm not sure how Ronan th- thought about it, but I know Ellie absolutely adored it. She really did. She did. She really, really did love it a lot. What did I think about Fantasy Realms? Ooh. I enjoyed the game. Let's go with that. I enjoyed the trying to build the combos. I felt that after a couple of plays, already I was starting to learn more about what was in the deck. And Ooh. the more I knew the deck, I think the more fun I would have with it, I would say that only drawback on it was yeah. it's completely solitaire. All yeah. right, someone's putting a card down. You might want it or you might not. Oh, 100%. They can't know yeah, if you yeah. want it. You're right. Yeah, you're and they right. can't know if you want it and you can't know what they're going to put down. So with a lot of players, you are sitting there waiting, just waiting for your turn. And that's the yeah. only thing I could say against it because I enjoyed the play. I enjoyed the idea. I enjoyed the taking risks. The one thing, or sorry, the other one thing, I'll just talk about another one thing. <laughs> there are seven one things, sure, but a discreet <laughs> and single thing is that from knowing the deck, I would love that then I could see what you're picking up and start having in my head, ah, so he might have that card or he might have this card and therefore I might not want to put this one down until the very end and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think the more you know the deck, you can actually start picking what people have got, but not in the bigger player counts. And that's that was also my bugbear was the one thing I didn't enjoy about it was the really large player counts because it goes up to six and we played it at six and I just didn't think it worked at all because 
some people only saw three cards <laughs> before the game was over. It's over too quickly. You haven't got any real control over your deck at six players. Five, a little bit more, but I would say the sweet spot for this is four players. And it also has a really good two-player variant. And it's almost a completely different game, but it, it works so well. So that's why it kind of it scales for the, the amount of players that I'm likely to get around the table. And I just think, it, yeah, it's a very clever little game and it definitely doesn't outstay its welcome. So for me, Fantasy Realms is a winner all day long. Even though I haven't played it enough to get there, I was very much looking forward to at least one aspect of the expansion that you've got in that it adds more in there, but then you build a hand of eight cards, mm -hmm. which gives you more options for combinations, and you need to have 12 cards in the middle for it to finish, which gives you a tiny bit more time to build things. Yeah. And again, with the, with the larger player count, I felt like sometimes my hand's done, so I, there's nothing really more I can do here, mm. and you're sitting there doing nothing. Maybe with a slightly larger hand, a slightly, there's a little bit more you can do, and you can make some of those cards you know, give it a little bit more and supercharge them a little bit more because I might be sitting there going, you get plus 12 for every whatever and really I can only get one or two more of them. I think you and Rachel would really like the two-player because you build your deck from scratch. You take from the deck or you take the card that the other person puts down until you have seven in hand and then the sort of timer starts and it's, it's really interesting. If I didn't have about... See, I promise Rachel... <laughs> that I'd have this, this area of games in the living room. And then I've got these games that come up. These are the ones I need to play, and the rest of them are, all, are our favourites and stuff. Mm. If I didn't have approximately 40 games that spilled over the shelf of games that are to play, <laughs> I would have got Fantasy Realms. And I've kind of put in slight checks on myself, and then the Games Law weekly email comes out, and I go, ooh! And Thirsty Meeple's had a new Uwe Rosenberg tile-laying puzzle game, and I go, oh, I got that! I'm an idiot, Sean. Oh, those weekend releases from all the various board gaming outlets are Routine. a nightmare. I, I have to stay away from them. <laughs> I can't help myself. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, no. Anyway, anyway Fantasy Realms is good. I will have it. I will at some <laughs> point just get it. Right. The next one I'm going to talk about is a game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises. Pretty much tells you what the game is. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. <laughs> <laughs> it's designed by uh, Bez Shariari, publisher stuff by Bez, Inner Bind or Yogi, and various other games. Bez has a particular business model in which she creates, now creating these smaller games that come out, they're cheap, they're a pound print and pray, five pounds for a little copy of it, and basically looking to get exposure and hoping that another publisher will pick them up. Now, I played this one, but I'm going to mention another one because it's just finishing on Kickstarter. You need to get in there quickly. This is a bunch of double-sided cards with pictures of monsters on, and you lay a certain number out, and then a person draws a number card, and it says, right, make the noise that monster number three would make. And no one else knows which one you're doing. And then you make a noise, and then everyone else has to guess which one. There's ways of scoring, basically, that you don't want everyone to get it wrong. The most popular one people will score anyway because that... that is a valid answer if everyone thought it was that one. But you score points if they, you know, don't worry about point scoring, basically. We didn't. I'm sure some people would prefer to score it. Yeah. It's about sitting down and looking at pictures of monsters and making <laughs> stupid noises. 100%. And it was, 100%. Really, <laughs> it was really funny. 
On Friday night, we went back to our house and just the three of us played it, Rachel and I. It's supposed to be four to ten players, but you know, it's fine. And um, we were wetting ourselves and arguing. Arguing about... <laughs> yeah, that's got to be done. Dad, dad, that hoot sounded like number two. It sounded like number two. It could be number five. Oh, what? How do you know what number two sounds like? <laughs> People <laughs> clacking their teeth and growling and, and just, it was ridiculous and very, very funny. And that's kind of... Bezzy's genius of her designs is that they make you laugh and they make you do unusual things, but they don't make you self-conscious while doing it. It was really, really funny. There's not much more to say. Yeah, no, I, I backed this one on Kickstarter, so I've had it for a little while, and James absolutely adores it. And again, that is absolutely it. The, the point scoring went out the window fairly early, and we were just giving each other abuse, like... That one, he's got massive teeth. Why didn't you gnash your teeth or do something with your teeth? <laughs> yeah, but he's also got a big arm, so I thought he might be able to... Oh, no, it's just absolutely, yeah. Abuse and laughing. And it's the hallmark of Bez's games, definitely. I have decided many moons ago that I don't like trick-taking games, but Ronan annoyed me enough, so I played The Crew Mission Deep Sea from Cosmos, designed by Thomas Singh, and... Although I wouldn't say I loved it, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's yeah, it's pretty much more of the same. Most people, after the original The Crew, seem to think that this one's better, and I think it is. I think it's more intuitive for me, anyway. Your thoughts, Ronan? It's brilliant, and this version, I wasn't sure. I thought the first one would be better to teach people the game because it's more structured in its challenges. And while that may be true, and it might work better with certain groups, as long as you're quite zen about the fact that some people are going to miss things sometimes, even experienced players are going to miss things sometimes, I think it doesn't matter. And the fact that Deep Sea has got much more flexibility, because you're doing cards. So in the original one, it was set missions in a book. that said, do this, do this, do this to progress through. In this one, it's cards you draw out to a certain value. So it's always different. For me, going back and starting again from mission one, which is just like a card, it's going to be different each time I've done it. I've done it multiple times, and it's fine because we're trying to do something. And then the next one, yeah, mission 10 is always different every time we try it because it's just a value of cards. Mm. And then there are certain ones which is like timed or this and that or don't. There are certain set ones, but not as many. And it, it keeps it fresher for me, Sean, because I'm teaching this a lot. Yeah, yeah. I did force it on you. I did say to you that there's... A lot of games with trick-taking in them, including the likes of Brian Baru, which we're going to talk about sometime down the line, I've been playing, and just trick-taking games. I've said to you that I, I think this is the way to sort of crack the code of trick-taking because we're doing it cooperatively. So people don't have to be secretive. And afterwards, you can sit there and go, well, I thought this, I thought that. How did you find that element of it as, as a sort of a, a teaching and a, and a pathway in? I think that the speed in which it goes. So normally you play a trick-taking game and you're playing against somebody. Obviously, they're not helping you and you're doing your own thing and you have to play it maybe 15, 20, maybe even half an hour. And at the end of that experience, you're frustrated. So my frustration started with this one, but then that was over in two minutes. And I'm, like, oh, I'm really frustrated. And then you or Rachel or Ellie or Nat could come in and say, well, okay, the reason you were frustrated by this is because you didn't see us doing this. And this is how what you've got to look out for. All right, okay, next time I'll do that. And slowly my frustrations with myself 
got less and less as I understood more and more about it. So I think it is a really good tool to teach trick-taking. I still don't think I like trick-taking, but I like cooperative games. So that's what makes this one bearable for me. Just bearable? Bearable. Yeah, I was getting really frustrated by the end. At one stage, I think I roared at poor Rachel. I know how to count when she was literally trying to help me because I had a card on the table. that I wasn't playing, that needed to be played, and the whole the whole round had been set up for me to play that card, and I forgot about it. And, yeah, I got... Yeah, I was getting... And I, I don't like myself when I'm getting really frustrated like that, so I think that's part of it. Zen, man. Find your zen. <laughs> Speaking of bearable... Oh, nice. Nice. Go on. You like that? I did. Baron Park got pulled out, dusted off, whacked down, and fully tile-laid... You hadn't played this as often as I imagined you had played this. No. We played without the expansion, mm-hmm. which was a kind of nice reset of playing it. It's been quite a while. Yeah. Your thoughts on our game of Baron Park? Oh, it's just such a good game. Like, I hadn't played it in a long time, and just a few pointers. Right, do you remember this? Do you remember this? Yep, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I was off and running. The pictures on the tiles are, are really cool. They're all different. You really feel like you're building this little park up and interactive because you're trying to get there in f- certain awards and certain tiles in front of people and you're watching what they're doing. I just, I just think it's such a clever and simple game and I really like it without the expansions. Yes, I was going to mention the expansion. Cool, go for it. Interesting. I think that I had played it into double figures previously, and when I got the expansion, I was hoping for something different. I got something very different, and a real step up, and a real change from a friendly game to a brain burner. And I wondered how many people I could find to play it with that would enjoy that complete shift up. And the answer is, not very many. (laughs) So I was kind of hoping when we played it this time, when you got a refresher, you might think, no, do you know what? I, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy a couple more games of it. And then maybe I'd like to go back to the expansion to try and just see that with more familiarity will I enjoy the expansion more. Are you going to crush my dreams? I'm not going to crush your dreams. I will play with the expansions because I do have to sort of really flesh out my feelings for them. My initial instinct was I didn't particularly care for them. But as you pointed out to me, like you can't just judge something on one or two plays you really have to have a look into it and uh, i think you're right and I, I need to play it a bit more so who better than your good self to play it with me many many <laughs> um i think it was an odd choice of expansions for something that was becoming sort of a a low level hit and and a, a family sort of hit if you like or an easy gamer hit yeah to to, to ramp it up oh, great for me I'm not sure it was for the audience that was playing Bear Park at the time. Right. Cool. Sean, an even older tile layer. Yeah. Yeah. We played Maori from Rio Grande and Gunter Burkhart. And the things that I want to say about Maori, or it feels even now very familiar because of the Michael Menzel artwork and the, the feel of the game is old style Euro game, Rio Grande style but it still feels innovative even now. So what you have in, in Maori, if you've never played it, if you've got a grid of tiles and each of those tiles will have islands on them and boats and stretches of water and you've got a boat that goes around the edge and you take the tile that you're next to or you can pay the currency in the game, which is shells, to go in 
to the grid and take one of the tiles that's in from where you are. You use the shells again to move the boat further. And it's all about building up your own tableau of islands. You're completing islands. You want palm trees and huts to score points. And the more boats you get on your island, the further you can move the boat. And it all intertwines into, even now, as I said, a really innovative feeling to this game. Very simple, over in half an hour. But I, it's a grower for me. I didn't don't remember really liking it as much as I did when we played at Aircon Ronan. Yeah, it's a very clever little game. What I particularly love about it is how quick it is, Sean, because you feel like you've played a proper game, you've had to make decisions, you've managed a tight economy, and it's 20 minutes long. It's so clever, and the iconography all stands out really clearly. The only slight thing is you've got to have all the the island pieces orientated in the, in the same way. They've all got to be sort of up. Some of them aren't as easy to tell as others because they don't have the trees on them. But It has an that, asymmetric back though. Like yeah, yeah. Nice so you can always look at the back and work it out. But other than that, I thought the, the iconography all really worked and it just made for a simple, enjoyable, but deep experience. Absolutely. Yeah, Maori is, in, to me, an evergreen. That has always been in my collection for a long, long, long time and will remain there. And every now and then I'll pluck it out and usually surprise people with it and say, I've never heard of that. It used to be quite famous, used to be quite widely played. And then they play it and go, oh man, there's something to this. And I also love, and I didn't do it that much because you and Rachel were not that familiar with the game is, you can absolutely stitch people up. <laughs> you can spend your shells to push along to really, like, there's a tile that they want and just go, like, one past it. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, Rachel did it all the time, but but, but not, not intentionally. Yeah, no, just getting her own stuff. No, yeah. no, I mean, no, you can really screw with yeah, people. Yeah, if you collect shells early, that's like kind of that's what how I remember playing it back in the day <laughs> with like Sir Tom Preston at London Board and being like getting get a few shells and be like, <laughs> 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 but I was playing nice version. I was playing nice version this time. The other thing I will say, and not to brag or anything, but it might seem like it's a light little game, but I won that game by a bit because I played it a lot. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. You can yeah. improve at playing it. You know, there, there's there is something to it there that's not just. Oh, we're just drafting tiles and, and, you know, a bit of luck and a bit of this. Yeah, I went down a certain path. I thought, oh, if I can build loads of islands and fill them quickly, almost Viking style, I'll have a really good chance of winning the most islands and all that. And that is just a a dip of your toe in the sea of the points that you can score in this game. There's so many more points to be scored in other ways. So I, I would definitely play it different next time. But moving on to a game that you've never talked about, you don't like, and I don't know why you're bringing it up now. It's Rumble Nation. <laughs> it is the bombing lick. It went over an absolute storm again. We played it with uh, Luke Pride, heard of it and never played it. I'm not sure Ellie had played it before. Maybe she had once or something like that. And as everyone, it was an unusual configuration, actually, of the numbers, which kind of made it a game that was like, I was like, oh, certain places are going to be really, really important for reinforcements here. Yeah. And Luke played it and, and did the thing that almost everyone does and went, that is really clever. That is a really quick, smart little game. Everyone loved it. You start seeing the pattern of it. I did an incredible job, Sean, of coming second <laughs> in two thirds of the areas on a board. Well done. That yeah. won't win you the game. That won't win you the game. <laughs> It'll get, it'll get you some points. We ain't going to win doing that. And then 
it's the whole thing of all you do is you roll three dice and you decide where you're going to put cubes on the board. That's all you're doing. But there's so many sort of repercussions. You're attacking each other. This needs a reprint and a major push. Oh, massively. Dan Luke loved it. Massively. Because, oh. uh, yeah. I mean, you, they should be giving you money at this point because you played it with me. I was desperate to find a copy and I almost paid the money to ship it over and I'm still sniffing at it. You played it with Matthew Jude who immediately went out and found a copy for himself. You played it with Luke who I know is trying to seek it out. So I think you're pushing single-handedly pushing this game along a long If I could, do you know what? If I think I was going if I was going regularly to London on board, I reckon I'd have 100 people looking for this game. Definitely. Yeah, it's so it just good. it's great. It's absolutely great. It needs a reprint. Someone out there, get hold of the rights to Rumble Nation. Maybe change the name of it. I don't know about that. But get it reprinted and pushed. It is fantastic. Right. Sean, there's a game that I've talked about that has been... In the last year, we started playing it at LobsterCon. It has been a hit with gamers and non-gamers alike. And you finally got to try it. Did. And uh, it's So Clover from Repos Productions, designed by Francois Romain. And it's a, it's a word game. It's similar to uh, code names in that you're trying to get people to guess certain words. But the way this works is you're going to put your four tiles out on your clover board. And those four tiles, the, out, the outer rim of the square that they form, each side of the square will have two words. You've got to combine those two words and try and write one word that is going to describe both of them and so that everybody is going to guess what those words are and orientate the squares in the right place. Simple as that. Such a funny game, but such a difficult game at times because when you're trying to put two random words, like, I don't know, dinosaur water, like, whoa, I don't know. (laughs) How do I do this? So you've got to really kind of think about who you're playing with, what they're likely to get, Ah, it's so clever. And it's so clever. So clever, so clever. And I really enjoyed it. And Ronan, it has replaced code names for me. Replaced? Replaced. Replaced. I was getting tired of code names. And this has breathed new life into the word association game for me. I play code names duet more than I play code names. But again, that's not for a matter of circumstance. Mm. I still love code names. I think it's completely different. Mm-hmm. I think that it's much more pressurised and cutthroat to play code names, or the way, the way I play it. <laughs> <laughs> this is much more of an activity in which scoring just doesn't even matter. Part of the fun of code names is that there's the pressure of, well, no, they're ahead of us. I've got to do a four clue here. That's when it gets hard. Anyone can sort of do a one or two clue. And he's like, I've, I've got to really make a reach. And I like I, code names. If I'm not doing a five or a six in the first round, something's gone wrong, mate. I just like to just reach for it somehow. Because <laughs> you're giving people a bit of an idea. And you, you might strike gold. Anyway, whatever. Code names feels very different. Just because they're both group word games. This is much more of a friendly activity sit down people can come in and out they don't even have had to they can just join in the guessing it's much more relaxed and it's really really good but it it feels a slightly different niche for me i think that's probably why i prefer it i think it is much more relaxed and i don't feel the pressure on top of that from a slightly different angle i think you have to be on your game to to do this well though because I noticed a, a massive difference. We were hung over on the Sunday when we played this game on the Sunday. We were shocking, the two of us. And Ellie wasn't great either. On the Friday when we played it, before we went out on the beer, 
we were all really on it and good and we were chaining and we were weird little little words that we were like chaining to things and people were getting oh yeah and it was brilliant but yeah not so good on the sunday nothing was so good on the sunday <laughs> including me having to pull the car into a uh, abandoned hotel parking lot to have a little sleep <laughs> <laughs> I was fine. Like, don't get me wrong. I wasn't over the limit or anything like that. I had eaten. It was quite late on. I was just a bit tired, man. I just had to I was sleeping in an abandoned hotel. It was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My thanks to Sean, Natalie, Rachel, and Ellie, specifically for making this a fantastic weekend. To uh, Luke, who played a few games with us. To everyone else who played with us. To everyone we saw. Our friends, new friends, old friends. And to Mark and his team, we're putting together another fantastic con. And my thanks to Ronan for bringing the lion's share of the games and doing the lion's share of the teaching for those games. So thank you for doing that. And yeah, thank you to all you guys for listening. As always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to contact us, our email is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. And we're also on Board Game Geek in our guild. Pop along there. We really do like to hear from you. We're on social media. We've got a Facebook page. We've got an Instagram page. And we have Twitter, at Game Pit Podcast. And yeah, download the episodes wherever you download your podcasts. And uh, if you can, stick us a rating. Brilliant. Take care and we'll see you next time. Music by Eve Aaron. Oh, ye. Air Convoy.